The overarching theme for the next number of weeks at uh, Willow Park uh, is going to be that of change, about uh, the fact that the Bible at times says to us, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we read verses like that, and we are very quickly aware of how far we fall short of that standard. The last song that uh, Warren and Art did was asking God to purify our heart. And I think the reality of our heart as um, men and women of God is that our heart constantly needs purifying. The song before that, which again, Warren was so appropriate, said, all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, and it says, dip your, not your feet, it says, dip your heart into the streams of life. Dip your heart into the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. And I think one of the truths as we talk about change in the life of a Christian is that we will always, and although this does not sound encouraging, we will always have to confess our weakness. And our reliance on the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, I would say, likely has some things about our life that we would like to change. Some of them may relate to our appearance. Some may relate to our lifestyle, perhaps some habits and ruts that somehow become default positions in our life. We would say we'd like to change that. Sometimes we'd like to change things like our vocations. Maybe we'd like to change the state of our finances. Lots of things in life that if you ask people, well, what are some things you'd like to change, they probably have a bit of a list. But there are times I think that what we want to truly change in our life reflects something at a far deeper level. It affects who we actually are. And I think the desire for change lies at the core of what you might want to call the self-help industry. And every book that is written within the self-help industry, I think, only reflects our inability to actually do that. That truly trying to change even sometimes our behaviors remains a very elusive endeavor. And I think it's especially true when it comes to things in our life that we would identify as weaknesses. And the self-help industry is fueled, I think, by the sense of discontent and it likely knows that it has an inexhaustible supply of customers. That even when the book, whatever the topic might be, seems to lay out a clear plan, the doing is always so much harder than simply the reading or the hearing. New Year's resolutions, if you look at them, change very little from year to year. They have to do with health, 
They have to do with exercise. They have to do with diet. They have to do with finances. They have to do with perhaps improving ourselves through education. Virtually every top ten list of New Year's resolutions include things like getting rid of old habits and behaviors and resolving to start new positive habits. So we are actually quite good on resolutions. As people, we are often very weak on resolve. And I think most of us actually realize that. And in a way, we find it somewhat frustrating. And at times, we do step back and admit that there is some humor in it. Somebody said, many people look forward to the new year for a brand new start on old habits. People, I think, often do make positive changes in their life in areas that they might say are already strengths for them. That if you are an organized person, chances are you can become even more organized. If you are a person who is very conscious about budget, perhaps you can even make that more so in your life. So that sometimes then the things that we already feel quite strong, we sometimes can say, you know what, I can get better there. It's always our weaknesses that give us a challenge. I'm a fan of the show Dragon's Den. Uh, the American counterpart, I think, is called Shark Tank. And I find the ingenuity and creativity of the human mind and spirit quite astounding. And I'm also intrigued by those who are the sharks and the dragons. Those who have risen to prominence or influence in the world. Those who, when you look at them up on the stage give the appearance, at least, of having all their ducks in a row. And yet, you know, I have listened to some of the dragons share their personal stories. And at a very real heart level, their stories were stories of confession. They wouldn't have used that word. But that's what they were. And they admitted that their wealth and everything that they had acquired in life came with a huge relational and human cost. We can appear so together sometimes in certain areas of our life and yet be floundering in others. Sometimes that floundering is clearly visible for all to see And sometimes that floundering is a very solitary and personal struggle. We actually live in a culture where if you have enough money, you can actually hire your own personal trainer. Now you can also hire your own life coach who will actually save you from your own lack of resolve and the good intentions that never come to fruition on your own. Jeffrey Kluger, senior writer for Time magazine, said this, There's a deep freeze of sorts for all good intentions. 
It's a place that you store your plans to make changes in your life when you know you're not going to make them at all. Joyce Meyer, Christian author and speaker, said this, good intentions never change anything. They only become a deeper and deeper rut. That's rather discouraging, but... Susie Orman, who happened to be on PBS last night, and I know she makes a whole pile of money trying to help people take care of their money, says, so many financial dreams are thwarted by the failure to act upon good intentions. And perhaps my favorite, Peter Drucker, an American management consultant, educator, and author, said this, plans are only good intentions unless they immediately degenerate into hard work. There's a lot of truth in that. I do not want to paint us as being incapable of making changes in our life. Sometimes we do, and we all probably know people who have made significant changes in their life, perhaps, uh, in whatever area you want to talk about, that they have actually been able to match their resolution with resolve. Uh, there are quite a number of adults within Creekside Church this fall who have embarked on college and university training. And as they do, new doors of opportunity and new potential is going to open up in their life that may very well dramatically change the path of their life. That there are people who are allowing their good intentions to degenerate into hard work. But there's an aspect of our lives that always provides deeper challenges that we can address on our own. We as human beings are often very aware of our own imperfections. And I think it's a very uniquely human truth. And while there are things in your life that you might say, well, I think I can fix this, I think I can work on this, there's parts of who we are as people that we cannot fix. And even if everything else in life seems to be falling into place, there remains a cry, I believe, of every human heart for something more. That truly the human heart cries out for a sense of rest and peace within our heart and soul. Sometimes people's frustrations with life can cause them to work harder, try harder. Sometimes people's frustrations with life will lead them to look for someone to blame. Sometimes it can lead to resignation, I guess is the best I can do. Sometimes it can lead to anger, frustration, and I want to say sometimes our deepest weaknesses, and many of us would say that, can lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. That if we confess our sins, he says, God, through Jesus, is willing and able to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an incredible promise that we can be made new, that we can experience a spiritual reality a spiritual rebirth that God can open our eyes to a truth and a reality that is so far beyond our little world. 
and into a world of spiritual truth that will last forever. And I'm going to say most of us this morning will say, I have embraced that truth. I've accepted that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a response to the fact that we have a need within ourselves we cannot fill, but Jesus can. This next while, as I said, the, the concept of change within our life is what Willow Park is going to be talking about. Not exactly sure where it's headed, but there's probably lots to talk about. And most of us would say that the message of the Bible, the message of the Word of God is a challenge to us. It's a challenge to be changed people. That there is both, you might say, a good news and a bad news aspect of the gospel. And I, and I probably really shouldn't use that because the gospel really actually means good news. But the truth of the gospel actually leads us, I think, to see us for who we are. That the challenge of the gospel is actually for us to confess our weakness. The challenge of the gospel is to admit and acknowledge our sins, the challenge of the gospel is to say that I need help. And then the offer of the gospel is new life, transformation, rebirth through Jesus Christ our Lord. And a journey where our ultimate allegiance is to a kingdom that is not of this world. And I say there is a challenge in that walk of faith. We all know that challenge. Sometimes the things of the world draw us away. Draw our mind, draw our heart away from the kingdom of God. There are things that this world offers that we can find attractive. Generally, they do not lead to good places. And then there, I think, is the struggle that we all know within our very own hearts is the struggle of truly trying to live as a new creation. The struggle of putting off the old, putting on the new. We all struggle with it. That song that says, all who are thirsty, all who are weak, is talking about all of us all the time. Our walk of faith, I want to say, is a constant reminder of our sinfulness and our utter dependence on the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ. Unlike the goal of most self-help books that you may choose to purchase, which seek to help you get some aspect of your own life in order, the goal of our walk with God is not ever self-reliance, but total dependence. It's never self-reliance. It's total dependence on Jesus Christ. And as a result, it's a never, walk, never a walk in which we can say, look at what I've accomplished. It's always a walk that humbly acknowledges my need for Jesus. The Bible does clearly speak about a changed life, about having a renewed heart, a transformed mind. 
a new hope, a new community of faith, a new way of living. And if I was to ask you what you need to do in order to move toward greater spiritual maturity, what do you need to do to move towards greater holiness in your life? I think many of us would have a few suggestions at our fingertips. You might say, well, Doug, I should probably pray more. I should read the Word of God more often. I should read other inspirational books more than I do. I should make church a priority. Perhaps I should get involved in a small group. Perhaps I should start journaling. Start doing these things and spiritual change will occur. And I want to say as beneficial as every one of those things are, they can also become empty religious practices. And I want to say often when we look at our Christian lives and the things about us that we would like to change, very often we tend to focus on behaviors. I want to stop doing that. I want to stop thinking that way. You know, it's interesting, I think, unlike other aspects of our life, if we allow our Christian intentions to degenerate into hard work and effort, we will likely come up empty. At the worst case scenario, it can lead to a sense of legalism and even a sense of self-righteousness. Many Christian books, I think, are actually simply self-help books lacquered with Christian language, a few stories of human success, a smattering of verses often taken out of context, and a plan to follow. And the subtle message of so many books is, you know what, you can do this. When the truth of the word of God says you can't. Simply working hard to adopt good behaviors or good practices doesn't automatically or necessarily lead to change in who I am in the heart. And I want to say what God desires. The message of the gospel is not primarily about changing behavior. It is about changing the position of our heart before our Heavenly Father. That if God truly has our hearts, if God truly has our minds, he, not we, he will continually change us from the inside out. If I ask how well do we know our own hearts? Is your heart open and honest before Jesus? You know, Jesus is very aware of my behaviors. Jesus is 100% aware of my sins and my weaknesses. Jesus is also aware of my inability to deal with them on my own and his desire 
is to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We focus on behaviors, and if you're focusing on behaviors this morning, I want to say God is looking at your heart. It's like your heart and your mind that need refreshing. And Jesus says you need to come to me for that every day. Dip your heart in the streams of life. David said this. And David, we know David's sins. We tend to focus on a couple that were horrendous, you might say. But David said this, my sin is always before me. I look in the mirror and it's staring me in the face. Paul said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Now, you can read that and say, well, Paul was just exaggerating. That's not really what Paul felt. That's not really Paul's struggles. I believe that that is Paul's struggles. And he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul and David recognized their own weaknesses and the incredible truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. Norm Funk, who is pastor of Westside Church in downtown Vancouver, said this, we sin because we forget the cross. I think there is truth in that. But sometimes we sin because we are simply imperfect, very self-centered people. It's a condition I cannot control. I'm not going to grapple with it on my own. And I think it's difficult because there's actually sort of, you might almost want to say, a hypocritical aspect of my own life. That I know that I'm called to be perfect even as God is perfect. I know that I'm called to live a holy life of obedience to Jesus. Yet my sin is always before me. And I want to say this morning that our sinful condition, even as Christians often, maybe always, presents two options, two paths for us to think about and to take. One path, I want to say, leads to judgment. It can lead to frustration. It can lead to resignation. It can lead to anger. It can lead to doubt. And I want to say the enemy of our souls likes to lead us down that path. Likes to point out your unworthiness, which is why the Bible at times calls him the accuser of our souls. And he says, you're not worthy. You've still got issues in your life. The other path says that if you acknowledge your sin before God, if I daily confess my sin and cling to the cross of Christ, I will be forgiven. I will be free of the guilt that I often carry. 
that God, Jesus, is my redeemer, my deliverer, my healer. He is my sustainer. And as I look to Jesus, the Spirit of God will increasingly work in my life and change me in a way that I will never do on my own. And I believe the work of the Spirit of God in our life always leads to humility. Always. It's not about saying, look at me, look where I've come, look how far I've gone, look how mature I am. The work of the Spirit of God in our lives always leads to humility. I mentioned before David and Paul, two men whose lives were powerfully touched by the presence of God. And yet they were so keenly aware of their sin. You might say, how can these men of God still be so conscious of their own weakness? You might say they should be so far beyond that in their spiritual journey. But I think it's an interesting aspect and even an interesting paradox about our walk with God that the more we understand the grace and mercy of Jesus on our behalf, the more we are actually aware of our own sin and our own need of a Savior. That Jesus doesn't lead us to self-reliance. Jesus leads us to himself. I want to say, if you're looking for a place to start, look closely in the mirror. I do that at times. I mean, most of the time I'm just there to see if I look presentable. But there are times I look in the mirror and I stare and I try to look at, okay, the person behind that face. And there are so many times when I say, God, that person is so flawed. Got so many weaknesses. But there's also a verse in the Bible, and it's about the mirror, that when we stare into the mirror, not only are we to see ourselves for who we are, we are to see and behold the glory of Jesus. The sacrifice, the forgiveness of Jesus for me. And that one day, this very imperfect Doug will put on the perfection of Jesus Christ. One day this, what the Bible says, corruptible body is going to put on the incorruptible. One day this somewhat conflicted body is going to be made 100% whole. You know, what's interesting. We, we will never have anything to boast about in terms of our spiritual condition. We will never get to a place where we can say, well, you know what, if you do what I've done, if you do this. And I want to say if we ever pretend that we have arrived as a child of God, we have likely become the kind of Christian no one wants to be around. There's an aspect about who we are. We sometimes love hard work and effort. We like to pour ourselves into something, look at what we have accomplished, feel good about it, and say, way to go. Our spiritual journey has zero room for us to boast of ourselves. Zero. 
Jeremiah, who spoke the wisdom of God to the people of Israel 650 years before the birth of Jesus, said this to the people in Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. I think there's such an amazing verse. I don't often journey into the Old Testament, but it says, This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. And understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in those things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. David said, Psalm 34, verse 2, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. And it says, who will hear it and recognize it and understand it? It says, the humble will hear it. And they're going to rejoice. Paul in Galatians 6, 14 said this, As for me, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I want to say our, our sinfulness bugs us. We might say it's an annoying aspect of who we are. But I want to say the day we are no longer convicted of our sin is the day that we have put on the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. The minute we pretend that we no longer struggle with sin, we actually make God a liar and trample on the cross of Christ. And I believe that Jesus offers us freedom from bondage. I believe Jesus offers us freedom from guilt. And the more I embrace that, the more the Spirit of God will lead me into obedience and holiness in my walk with God. In the end, there are many verses that say things like we are called to work out our salvation. We are called to put off the old and to put on the new. The work of transformation in my life is going to be the work of the Spirit of God in my life. As I fully, more truly recognize my weakness and bow at the cross of Jesus. Psalm 51, verse 10 to 12. I like what David says here. I think it just, he seems like a man who understood his condition so well. He says, God created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He doesn't say, God, can you get rid of this behavior? Can you? I've got this. David says, just create in me, God, a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And maybe this is the verse we need to hear more often. He says, restore to me the joy 
of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing heart. It's a cry of David that God would do a work on the inside, that God would do a work in his heart. That David acknowledges that his biggest issue is generally about his heart. He says, God, I depend on you. And I want to say that needs to continue to be our cry as children of God. You could pray it every day. God, restore to me this morning the joy of my salvation. And I shouldn't say my because the Bible says thy salvation for me. God created me a willing spirit as I embrace this new day that you've given me. And God, every day I acknowledge my weakness. I acknowledge my struggles in this walk of faith, and I look to you as my Lord and Savior for forgiveness and freedom. I pray that for me. I pray that for every one of us here this morning, that God would do a work in our hearts. As God works in our heart, he's going to change our behavior, and we'll give all glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, and it calls us to be honest about who we are. And at some level, Father, that honesty could seem to be discouraging, but Father, what it does, it leads us to you and the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning as we gather here as your church, as your children, we lift up your name and we thank you that you are our Redeemer, you are our Savior, you are... He who rescues our souls from ourselves. Father, for most of us, we would say our heart is to to walk in obedience. Father, our heart is that we would like to honor you in how we live out our life. And I pray, God, that you would lead us every morning to the cross of Jesus. Leave our sins at the cross of Jesus and ask that the Spirit of God would walk through us walk through each day with us and change our hearts. And that gradually more and more we could be transformed into the image of Christ. And for that, Father, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.